0: a chart that was like it, it was it went like it straight up at a 45 degree angle and then it was like you are here and then it's like three <laughs> weeks from now i'm like holy fucking shit because i literally yeah. like every person i know has either gotten it or had some kind of like exposure with their kids or at work or something I'm also- and then there's
1: like other versions too like you got pittsburgh steelers wide receiver deontay johnson who tested positive yesterday and then got cleared to play this afternoon because like he's vaxxed but he only has like very low amount of COVID in his system
0: I'm also convinced now having had it I'm convinced that there's a lot of people who are probably have COVID knowingly have COVID and are just ignoring it and like just going out and about because you could I mean there are times (laughs) when I felt fine where I could have just like you know, went to Home Depot or Starbucks or whatever, and just walked around like nobody would have known. It basically is um, like an honor system, you know? And we know it's if there's one thing I know about America, the honor system doesn't work. What is the
1: real percentage possibility that no one on Alabama or Georgia has COVID right
0: now?
2: Zero. Zero. Cause didn't zero point
0: zero. I mean, I'm, I'm going to record cause this might actually be relevant. Check, check, check. Yeah. Uh, Bill O'Brien and Sabin and all, Sabin just had his like seventh case. Bill O'Brien just came out of the quarantine. You think they just like got it and it was just those two and they're like, well, that's it. No, of course not. Like I, what I've learned from me and the people I hung out with in the week, like the four days when I had it and didn't know is like half those people got it either from me or from whoever gave it to me or, or whatever. So it's like yeah. the shit spreads like wildfire. There's a hundred
1: players on each team. Plus how many coaches, trainers, yeah, like volunteers. Uh, plus they're on college, massive college campuses with like 40,000 undergrads. LSU just played uh, a bowl
0: game with like 12 dudes going like, yeah. it was like old school going both ways. Football. They had a that wide receiver a play quarterback. I mean, I know yeah. they don't care and they, they probably weren't taking the precautions of an Alabama or Georgia, but there's no way that's what makes it so hard to, to like handicap or pick these games. Cause you don't even know who's going to play.
1: Yes, you do. Everyone, not okay. one person right. will right. sit out in the national <laughs> total game.
0: Zero. Okay. Not correct. Yeah. Let me rephrase that. It's... You don't know who's going to come into this a hundred percent. There's going to be a story that
1: comes out in like six months. They're like how college football's skated around covid testing for the national championship
2: ahead, i'll tell you exa- i'll tell you exactly how they did it okay so you know how the republicans said that when everyone went to bed at like 2 in the morning they brought in big giant briefcases full of ballots that were already pre-marked for biden okay middle of the night guy comes in with a briefcase full of covid negative tests all marked already negative and he brings them in, in a briefcase and he leaves them outside of everyone's hotel room door. Like yep. you used to get, like you used to get the New York times in front of your hotel room. Now you get your negative COVID tests is waiting for you outside. That's how it's done.
0: Oh, this is going to be the new version of the, like um, getting somebody else's urine for a test. It's going to be like, they're going to find, you know, the one like a nerdy guy in class. They're going to be like, yo man, let me get some of that snot. It's,
2: it's true. Give, give, me a, give me a negative test. Yeah, there's, this.
0: there's one guy in Tuscaloosa right now who's just locked himself in a bubble and he's just like, they're passing Q-tips through a slot in the door and he's like, he's rotating in each nostril and handing it back. And this one guy has sure just taken like 37 tests today.
1: <laughs> of course, like, a, like a, 137 tests.
0: Yeah, we're gonna find his name's like Jim, and we're gonna find out like two weeks from now, Bryce Young's gonna let it slip. Like we really got to thank Jim. Without him, we wouldn't have won this national championship. And then everyone will be like, "Who's Jim?" He'll be like, "Uh, n- no one. That never happened. Never mind."
2: And Jim's gonna get hammered, and he's gonna call Feinbaum one day, a little too drunk, and he's gonna let he's gonna spill the beans.
0: Yeah, Jim's gonna, gonna be great. he's gonna be working for uh, the Athletic and the New York Times in three months. he's gonna be their new inside reporter
2: can we break a story before it breaks yes we can we've done it many times here
0: we are approaching um like nostradamus level status of just saying shit and then having it come true um i guess you know welcome to take the points i guess we're basically recording the episode now but Um, (laughs) this is the podcast that told you, Dan, when did you say that Tua was going to win a national championship? It was way before he was even playing a snap.
1: When he, when he came in like week six and like the fourth quarter, when Alabama was up like 42, nothing on, I want to say Vandy and he rolled out to his right being a lefty and chucked a ball across his body to the back corner of the end zone like perfectly uh i said all right i don't need to see anything else if you can throw that if you can throw that ball you're good also picked purdue to beat ohio state outright two years ago which was good and my favorite one is uh picking trevor lawrence and clemson to beat alabama in the national title game a couple of years ago that was that was very good
0: there have been um, a lot of others and there have been some like off the field stuff we predicted all these kind of moves and Adazio-related coach stuff. I mean, Ryan, you've predicted coaches getting fired when they like had one bad quarter. We said that we we watched two quarters. <laughs> you know where this is going already. We watched yeah. Willie Taggart play two quarters of his first game ever when he was basically, I mean, at least to me, an East Coaster, he was kind of an unknown entity. I mean, I knew he did all right at Oregon, and he was kind of a high-profile coach, but I never really watched Oregon during the Taggart uh, era as brief as it was. And I watched two quarters of that game and I texted you guys. I'm like, this guy sucks. They should fire him now, like after the game. And, uh, we know how that worked out. So, um, remember anything we say in this episode tonight, you know, there's a long history behind it. So, uh, shall we get started gentlemen officially?
1: Sure. And I'd like to point out that we call the Kyle Whittingham, Shang Tsung of Mario Cristobal like the exact timeline, like they're going to lose this night. He'll be rumored the next day. And the day after that, he'll be official. And Tom's reply was, well, they still have a coach. I go, they will not have a coach.
0: Yeah. You, go, you said hours. that's a minor detail, that whole Manny Diaz <laughs> thing. And it unfolded. And that was before there were even rumors about that. I mean, you just, <laughs> I, I don't know how you came up with that one, but uh, you know, we say things and we make it the case with this Welcome to the Take the Points College Football, the minority report of college football (laughs) podcasts. I'm Tom. That voice you just heard is Dan, and uh, Ryan is also here. You two are out in Arizona. I'm in Connecticut. We are back for our uh, penultimate college football podcast of the 2021-22 season. Happy New Year, everyone. This is our first podcast of the 2022 year. And we're here to talk about the big game, the national championship game in Indy, Alabama versus Georgia, the rematch. And I have a ton of thoughts, but uh, I don't feel good about this one. Um, of course, we'll get to that later. But um, let's, I guess, start the, the two playoff games were not really that fun to watch. And they were both one-sided. But um, Dan, let's start with you. Anything you want to talk about from the Georgia, Michigan and the Alabama Cincinnati game, anything noteworthier that you know might be foreboding for the championship?
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, well Alabama, Cincinnati, Alabama, I don't even feel um, actually played very well, to be honest with you. Uh, Cincinnati had a, just played terribly. Um, I mean, obviously some of that's attributed to Alabama, but I didn't like their uh, play calling. I didn't like their approach by the coaching staff. Alabama gave them plenty of opportunities to hang around that game um, and score some points. And they just just shot themselves in the foot over and over again. Um, Cincinnati's uh, defensive line actually was able to get some pressure on Bryce Young, which is uh, a bit scary for looking forward to this game. Um, Alabama did exactly what they should have done, uh, which is just hand the ball off and be a more physical team than Cincinnati. Um But, yeah, I didn't really think, like, Alabama played an amazing game. Like, it wasn't, like, uh, a perfect performance by any means. I mean, it was 21-6 to in the third quarter, and Bryce Young throws a pick at midfield. You know, if Cincinnati made another play in the first half, uh, you know, it would be a lot different story. Hell, even on the first drive of the game for Cincinnati, they they had a wide-open touchdown, and the pass got tipped at the line. And that kind of was the biggest play of the game, in a way. After that, everything just kind of fell off the track a little bit for – Cincinnati so Alabama has some flaws but um you know they were able to win by handing the ball off and playing a smart game plan in that game Michigan Georgia oh god okay so uh Georgia whipped the shit out of Michigan and Michigan looked completely fraudulent they looked like a shell of the team that beat Ohio State they couldn't physically match up. Georgia looked way bigger, faster, stronger, way more prepared. Um, their hurry-up offense was really great. It kept Michigan from doing anything pre-snap on defense. Uh, just really, really great game plan. Georgia played almost the perfect game, um, which in theory is a good thing. But something about playing a perfect game in the semifinal scares me a little bit. It feels like there's only room to go down, and once they go down, They might start getting in their own heads and, like, you know, uh, being like, I don't know if we can beat this team. Here we go again. Like, you know, one of those scenarios. So, interesting. But Georgia played, uh, like, of of all the teams, obviously, uh, Georgia played absolutely fantastic against Michigan. Um, Harbaugh looked confused. Uh, Ryan, you were right. Don't trust Harbaugh. That was the right call. Um, He's had a look on his face the whole time, like, is this really happening? Is Is this fair? Like it, it didn't look good. Um, and their quarterback looked great. Stetson Bennett looked amazing. Um, their tight end, Brock Bowers, looks like a freak of nature. Um, and their defense looked really fast and really strong. They looked like they were angry um, after what ha- had happened uh, in the SEC title game. So Alabama didn't play their best, but won. Georgia did play their best and won. And I think that sets up an extremely intriguing final. Ryan, what, do you, what did you see?
2: I saw ex- happen exactly what I said was going to happen <laughs> in both games, uh, pretty much almost to the letter, of what I said uh, on the preview show. Uh, I said that Alabama's physicality would wear them down, and it did with all the running. And I said that Harbaugh was a fraud and Georgia was going to route them. So, yeah, uh, no surprises here necessarily, but. Um, I think the thing that really was like the most surprising to me was <clears throat> that Alabama was stayed so disciplined with, with the run because I know it's easy to say like, Oh, it's Alabama. They are running their power run team. This is what they do. Like, no, like they haven't been that in five years. So you know, it was really kind of like, I have to, God, that sucks. I have to give Bill O'Brien some uh, some credit for staying disciplined. You know, like, I don't know if Lane Kiffin keeps running the ball like that. I think he eventually is like, nah, man, chuck it. Go, go, go. <laughs> um, even though he does run it a lot, runs it on third down with Ole Miss a ton and all that. But I uh, think that was the thing that surprised me the most was that Bama just stuck to it and stayed disciplined enough to do it.
0: Yeah. I echo, I echo what, um, both of you said, um, the initial thing I noticed, especially with Alabama and since he was just the size of everybody, you mentioned it with Georgia, Michigan, but I think it was even more pronounced. It looked like high schoolers playing middle schoolers. Um, that was kind of the level of physical disparity. I think the announcers even Uh mentioned it a couple of times. They said something funny, like since he's not used to seeing these kind of body types or something like that, which was, very accurate and it just looked like you know men playing boys and i actually thought despite that and despite the final score as you said dan since he gave a really good effort and was closer to that game than the score indicated and was certainly closer or hung a little bit better with alabama than michigan did against georgia georgia also looked dominant um body type disparity wasn't as great, but the way they were playing and Georgia looked like they were um, playing on all Madden level and Michigan looked like they were playing on easy. Like they were slow, they were timid. They were just the disparity I noticed in that game was more about like, Georgia just came in like firing on all cylinders and Michigan just looked like slow and out of sorts. So it was like a speed and aggressiveness Disparity. They're
2: predict they're predictable. They are so predictable and boring. Like, right. There's just, there's only so much you can do with a extremely limited quarterback.
0: Yeah. And like, great
2: this is modern yeah. college football.
0: Yeah. And great coaching. As you both mentioned, um, Georgia, great game plan executed. Well, Alabama, great game plan. Didn't execute perfectly, but good enough. Um, since I thought had a horrible game plan, Um, I kept texting you guys like they've got to do something or try something or like you're playing Alabama. Can you just try something, anything? And then Michigan just like, there was never even a chance to execute a game plan. They just got the doors blown off them right away. I mean, that game, at least since the Alabama, I watched into the fourth quarter thinking like, Maybe there's a miracle chance, Michigan, Georgia. It was, I think 17, nothing. And I was like very tempted to just change the channel. If it weren't for our important reporting for this podcast, I probably would just shut it off and go to bed because, because it was obvious what was going to happen. So, um, two horrible semifinals, but it does set up a really nice final game. And, and I think there's a lot of intrigue and stories, Ryan, you want to add one more thing?
2: The question, actually, Tom, that the, you, what you're saying really got me thinking about when you were talking about Cincinnati and their game plan and being, you know, not not throwing the kitchen sink at them. Do you think that maybe Cincinnati just didn't want to <clears throat> kind of get that like Boise State? Cinderella gimmick play, that's how you you know, that's how you beat the uh you know, Goliath as David is you you know, and they just didn't want to do that. They didn't want to run all these gadget plays and trick plays because they didn't want to get lumped into like, well, this is how the little guy can compete. This is the only way they can. Because you know if they ran those plays, like that's what the announcers would say, even though it's the truth. And and I wonder if maybe there's a little bit of ego there where he was, he didn't want to, they didn't want to run those plays to prove they didn't have to be the little, the little team that could.
0: Uh, I mean, who, who knows my takeaway from watching it was different, which was that they went with a game pl- like a specific game plan that teams do that I personally hate when you're the underdog, which is let's just try to make it ugly and simple and burn clock. And let's try to just, keep it low scoring and hope something goes our way in the fourth quarter, as opposed to just being aggressive and running a more like, you know, whatever Mike Leachian style of shock and awe, which I think is your better chance. Like Boise would have run gadget plays, but they also, I mean, those era of Boise teams were known for the gadget plays, but they brought a lot more to the table. I mean, how many, you know, long deep passes did Kellen Moore throw to Austin Pettis and those guys? I mean, I think the one takeaway is like, Dan, I think you mentioned it last week, but we always wish those Boise teams got a chance to play for a title. And since he was their their you know, the one they handed the torch to, but this Cincy team was not the same as those Boise teams. I, th- I think they're not quite on that level. So I still hold out hope that a, a G5 team, the true G5 team, can get in there and, and beat somebody. Um, that
2: UCF team from a couple years ago was better than Cincinnati. Cincinnati was right, good. Don't get me wrong. It's not, it's not revisionist history. It's Blake Bortles. Blake Bortles' UCF yeah. team was good. No, 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 no. Not that one. Not that one.
0: <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs>
2: Kenzie Milton and Gabe Davis. They're good. the uh,
0: The Trichon 2017 Smith. national champions, the true national champs. Yeah, I've got to say, I've got to say, actually, um, if I'm thinking about the greatest G five teams of the last whatever 15 20 years, I think um, you know one of the Boise State teams gets on top. Probably was it 2011 2012? I mean, the Boise State team that finished like third in the country. Um, there was a TCU team before TCU was, a uh, a major big 12 team. I think they were still in the mountain West and I believe they actually played a Boise state team and lost in a bowl game. There was a year when it was like Boise state, Cincy and TCU were all like top six teams and they all kind of got screwed on the bowls. Like BC Boise state and TCU had to play each other in the bowl, kind of canceling out and then. Uh, They've stuck Cincy up against uh, Tim Tebow, Florida, I think. And so I thought that TCU team, despite losing in a bowl, was a great G5 team. Uh, And that same Boise year, and there was another Boise year, and that Cincy, and then maybe this year's Cincy are like your top five or six. So all those, and, and then UCF also. So those are your like greatest G5 teams of all time. But you know we're here to talk about some uh, some power football, some SEC. So I think it's time to get into it. Uh, very intriguing matchup. Dan, you're the Vegas outsider. This is your favorite episode of the year, every single year. How do you want to do this? Do you want to start? Do you want to close? What do you want?
1: Um, this year I will start it being the resident SEC expert. That's my conference of choice. So, um, all right. I got a lot of thoughts here, so bear with me. In the first game, Georgia had the worst game plan of any team I saw in any game the entire year. Georgia has a defense that's super fast. That's built on creating a lot of pressure on the quarterback and or running game, playing man to man and trusting the talent they have in the the secondary to lock down receivers. Very simple. Against Alabama in the first half last game, they Mm -hmm. took that formula, which had yielded 84 points against in 12 games and threw it in the garbage. And they ran a zone scheme for the first time all year. Made no sense whatsoever. And Alabama picked that zone apart with ease. Now a lot of it was John Mechie over the middle of the field, and he won't be there um, on Monday night. And remains to be seen if the other wide receivers can step in. Um, if the game against Cincinnati's indicate any indication, they'll be fine. Uh, they had a couple other guys catch some of those 12, 15 year old, you know, yard passes, and they were in good shape. It made me insane watching Georgia in the first half against Alabama. Switch to the second half against Alabama, Georgia went back to their base defense, and they got four punts in a row off of Alabama. Even though Alabama won the game, people don't look into all the stats. There was four punts in a row in the second half once they went back to their base defense. The whole game honestly comes down to this. If Georgia is dropping back in zone and only rushing four people in Alabama, they are going to lose this game, I have no doubt in my mind. If they play the way that they have for 95% of the year, they have a decent chance of winning this game. So that's the Georgia perspective on defense. Georgia perspective on offense is real simple. Can Stetson Bennett pull together for one more game? He's been mobile. He's been accurate. He's found Brock Bowers. They got George Pickens back off an ACL, and they're, they're, they're easing him back in. Um, their running backs look fresh. Their offensive line looks good. It's all in Stetson Bennett. He's got all the tools around him. Um, You know, they may not have the, you know, like A.J. Green or Sony Michelle or Nick Chubb or any of that kind of stuff, like household names, but they got plenty of talent on that offense. I think if we look in a couple of years, you'll see their tight end, uh, Brock Bowers, being a top three to five tight end in the NFL. Um, And I'm sure one of their wide receivers will be a star, just like they always are. I mean, Georgia produces a ton of wide receivers under the radar. Can Stetson Bennett hold it together for one more game? So that, that's basically Georgia on defense and offense. Alabama, offense. Uh, the offensive line wasn't that great against Cincinnati. Cincinnati is an inferior um, defensive line. Yes, I know they've been amazing all year when they play you know their lower competition. But against Alabama, even against Alabama, Cincinnati was able to generate pressure on Bryce Young. Bryce Young had a couple throwaways. He had a couple of like, miracle scrambles, a couple of miracle scrambles where he chucked it short to a running back out of nowhere ran for 17 yards. He threw a pick. Offensive line is a major concern. And obviously, I don't think they'll be able to run the ball near as, as effectively with Brian Robinson against Georgia as they did against uh, Cincinnati. Skill position players, Jamison Williams is, is a speed freak. It, it's, it's unbelievable to me that if he was on Ohio State this year, the four wide receivers that they would have had after watching what uh, Smith and Jinkba, or, or I don't know how to say it right still, uh, <laughs> did in the uh, Rose Bowl, which was unbelievable. Um, I think Alabama's going to be fine on offense. I think Bryce Young really is good. Um, you know, I kind of questioned him all year being a freshman, but what I saw him beating Auburn, and I've seen him light up various teams throughout the year, I think Alabama's good to score in the mid-20s. And I don't think they score in the 30s. I don't think they score in the teens either. I think they score in the mid-20s. Can Georgia score in the mid-20s? Probably. Alabama's defense is really good. So let's look at the Alabama defensive side of the ball. They played an outstanding game against Cincinnati. They shut down uh, their uh, Cincinnati running back for the Alabama transfer. Um, The quarterback – Seemed to have something going um, for Cincinnati in the first half, but then they started swatting down a lot of passes. They they, they, they deflected three balls in the first half and that gotten in, in uh, his head. And he was not the same after that. So I think the Alabama defense is uh, actually the, the complete key to this game. I think Alabama offense, like I said, is going to score in the mid twenties, any way you look at it. Um, but can the Alabama defense keep Georgia under say 26 points or something like that? It's really, really close. So what I'm trying to say is this game is very, very, very close. And from an X's and O's perspective, I can't pick a winner. So now we got to go to the coaching. And now I have my answer. You got Kirby Smart against Nick Saban. Kirby smarts played Alabama, I think three times, four times since he's been Georgia coach every single game, four times, every single game, Georgia's had a lead at some point in the game. They had a 10, nothing lead in the sec title game. And it looked like they were going to roll incorrect. They were winning against Tua at halftime Well, against not Tua. And then Tua came in at halftime and beat them. And same thing in the regular season games. Um, I can't, in good faith, recommend betting Georgia to win this game because they haven't beat Saban yet. I feel like the players on the field, if there is no coaches, <laughs> it's just straight talent X's and O's, it's exactly 50-50. It really, really is. They're exactly equal. But Saban's going to pull out a couple little tricks. He's going to use this whole underdog thing to motivate his team again. They didn't play a perfect game against Cincinnati, so he will be all over them in practice. Georgia just came off a perfect game. They're feeling pretty good about themselves, again, like they did before. This game's in Indianapolis. It's not in the Georgia Dome. 26-23 Alabama. And I don't like it. Uh, I did pick Georgia to win the national title in the first week of the season. Um I just can't do it. I can't take Kirby and be like, Oh yeah. Oh yeah. This is the one they're going to win. Oh yeah. Because they've been a better team than Alabama before and they haven't closed the deal. So I don't think in good conscience, you can bet Georgia. I just really don't understand that it just, I he can't do it as for a total. I like the under in theory, but this game's played in Indy on turf in a dome and just college teams on turf, just find a way to get over. Like, 80% of the time, I swear. Like, no turf games go under. Even Michigan-Iowa went over in that damn stadium. You know, come on. Um, you know, it's just, it's really hard to bet under. So, if I had to make a bet on this game, which I already do, but if I had to make another bet on this game, I would recommend a teaser and take Alabama plus nine with a uh, an under uh, teased up to 58. Um, or an over a 45, your, your choice on that. Um, but just straight gun to my head. I'm going down swinging with the best coach of all time and I'm taking Alabama. And like I said, 26, 23 is my pick and, uh, I don't like it. I'm not confident about it. This won't be a big bet. Um, for a hundred bucks on Alabama money line, sit back and have some fun. That's, that's, that's my plan for Monday night and go hang out with Ryan. It's going to be great. I'm excited to come over. I'm fired up. It's going to be good. Make my trip into Phoenix and uh, yeah, have a good time. So that's my long-winded explanation. Ryan, take it away for
2: your pick. Well, uh, very thorough. You're a good man and thorough. <laughs> uh, good reference. I'm going to go ahead and just – I laughed when you said your pick because my, my score the whole time has been – In the bowl pool, I had 27-24. But I switched to 27-23. And I think these teams are relatively even. I think both teams have five scoring drives. I think the difference is Bama gets three touchdowns and two field goals and Georgia gets two touchdowns and three field goals. Which means that at some point, Kirby's going to have a decision to make between going for a fourth or kicking the three. And he's going to kick the three and it's going to bite him in the ass because he's scared because uncle Nick has his testicles in a jar in his den in Tuscaloosa. And he just holds them there and that's it. He's got little, they're like little voodoo dolls but he's got Kirby Smart's nuts in a jar, and there's just I just don't see it. I what I want to know here's the bigger conversation: Why is Georgia favored?
1: I don't know. It's that makes no sense. Thank you for bringing that up, by the way. I Why don't is Georgia get. favored?
0: I feel like this is a Nick Saban inside job for motivation. Like there, there is no reason based on what we yeah. just saw for Alabama to be anything. I mean. What would you set the line at Vegas outsider, Dan? Cause I have a number that I, I would have set it at if you had never told me what the line is and it's way off.
1: Alabama minus four and a half.
0: Okay. Yeah. I would have been Alabama minus five or even six.
1: Three and a half. Somewhere in more than a field goal, less than the touchdown, somewhere mm-hmm. in that range yes. let the money fall. And it's been strange, too. They've been getting a ton of money in on Alabama and Vegas isn't moving the line, which normally means that Vegas likes Georgia. And they think they're going to beat them in cover. So yeah, this is sick. And also keep in mind that our guy Mattress Mac just bet $1.2 million on, uh on, on Alabama money line. So I'd like to be on Mattress Mac's side for this game. That's very important. It still didn't move? No, it didn't move at all after he fired $1.2 million on it.
0: This, this COVID conspiracy thing we started with the show with might be true. Maybe Bill O'Brien gave uh, Bryce Young COVID, and that's it. We're going to get uh, – well, I don't even know. Everybody else is probably in the portal already. They're just going to have to stick a hand in the portal and grab whoever's there to play.
2: Oh. It's – Oh, yeah. It's perplexing to me. It's just – I don't understand why George is favored. The over-under is dead on. I mean, we're, we're right. We're all over. It's what is it? 52, 52 and a half.
0: 52 and a half last I checked.
2: Yeah. And when we're all saying, you know, somewhere in the range of like, you know, high twenties to low twenties. So somewhere in that 49 to 52 range is what we're all saying. So they're right on that. Um, I don't know, Tom, you're up. What's your pick, man?
0: Yeah. You're all set. Okay. Um, Uh, So I agree with so much of what both of you said. And so I don't want to just rehash the same thing. So let me start by adding a couple things that neither of you brought up that I think might be relevant. Um, Number one is injuries along Alabama's offensive line, Uh, specifically on the right half of their line. I mean, their center was already injured and uh, presumably won't play, but it's possible that the center right guard and right tackle all might be out. Um, you know, we'll wait till game time to see, but I do think that could potentially have a significant effect. I mean, I know it's Alabama and they just kind of reload, but it's really tough replacing that many guys in such crucial positions. Um, you know, the guys who protect Bryce young, when we talk about getting to Bryce young is such an important part of this game. And you're now down potentially three starters from earlier in the season. Um, that's a problem. So, Uh, Also Alabama's number one cornerback is out and their number two cornerback got injured in that Cincy game and is questionable. Now my suspicion is he'll probably play at least part of the game, but let's say he's not a hundred percent or out half the game or even out the whole game. Then you're down two corners in the Alabama secondary, which is also was uh, already kind of weak by Alabama standards. So you got a couple real problem spots for Alabama. And the question is whether Georgia can exploit either or both of those. And uh, that's sort of the two things I'm going to look at for this game. So I think it's kind of an easy game to analyze because it falls on one or two simple things, which Dan, you already mentioned, but I'll, slight, I'll quickly rehash. Um, but then it's a real hard game to pick. So it's Stetson Bennett and it's, the Georgia defense containing or pressuring or getting to Bryce young, uh, Stetson Bennett. We've said all year that, you know, we thought Stetson Bennett did a great job, but if you want to be a championship team, we always thought JT Daniels, you know, with his pedigree was the guy, well, it's too late for that shit. You know, unless they pull a Tua and put him in, in the fourth quarter and he pulls some miracle, he's not going to start. And, you know, he doesn't have the reps at this point to just come in. So you're stuck with Stetson Bennett basically, if you want to win this game or keep it close and Stetson Bennett has played great 95% of the season and awful against Alabama. And one thing I noticed in the first game is he didn't really run as much as he had, and he's run a little bit more against Michigan and some other games. And um, I want to see if they get Stetson Bennett out and let him run because with Alabama batting down so many balls against the smaller Cincy quarterback Ritter, uh, I think there's a lot of potential for the same sort of thing against Stetson Bennett, who's a smaller QB, and so he's
2: four inches shorter than Ritter. Yeah, Ritter's six two.
0: Yeah, Ritter's not six even. I, I shouldn't say he's short, but I, I guess he plays short. If that makes sense, like you know what I mean. Like he kept just throwing balls right into those guys, and some of those guys are freaks, you know. Yeah. Like, like Will Allen's an absolute freak. And he Yeah,
2: he's six two and they all they were batting down balls. Like yeah, Bennett's five ten.
0: Yeah. So I see that as a big problem that needs to be addressed. Uh and that comes down to game planning, getting Stetson Bennett outside the pocket, establishing a run game early, which since he um started that Alabama game looking like they might have a run game against the Alabama defense, you know, being physical, and that didn't really pan out as the game went along, but I do think Georgia could run the ball potentially against Alabama. We'll see. Um, But there needs to be a good offensive game plan. But the way to beat Alabama, you've got to attack that secondary deep and mid-level. And I want to see if Stetson Bennett can do it. If Pickens is back healthy for the first time in forever, that makes a huge difference. Brock Bowers is a freak, as you said. They need to go to him often and early. Uh, their other tight end, I forget his name, but he's a, he's a potential NFL or a definite future NFL tight end. They've got two great tight ends. They've got pickings. There are weapons and can Stetson Bennett, uh, you know, exploit the weakness of Alabama's secondary. That's going to be the key to their offense, but the real key to the game and what's going to decide whether this is a, you know, a really close 50, 50 game or an Alabama blowout again is Georgia's defense, and specifically Bryce Young and what they do to him. Because he won the Heisman in that first game with an unbelievable performance, and he just ran around and made plays and escaped and eluded the Georgia defense, a passive Georgia defense, uh, a bad game plan, Dan, you mentioned. They need to pressure him. They need to blitz. They need to contain. I personally would have someone spy Bryce Young every single play. And the Georgia defensive game plan needs to revolve 100% around how do you contain and hassle and pressure Bryce Young, which they didn't do at all in that first game. And so you're coming up with a totally different game plan, and that's your only way to do it. All year, I've said that Georgia's the best team on paper. They have the best talent. I think they're the best team. I think this Alabama team's weaker than the best, the good championship Alabama teams of the past. The only correlation I think is the 2015 Alabama team, which we didn't think was great, but you know won it all in a down year. I think this Alabama team's worse than last year's Alabama team by far. I think they're worse than not 2019 LSU by far. They're worse than 2018 Clemson by far. They're worse than 2017 Alabama by far. Again, they are not the usual championship level team that we're used to seeing. Whereas this Georgia team, does have the talent of some of those past championship teams. You know, if they were to win it all, they would be somewhere in, you know, the mid-level of teams that have won it this century. Um, But Alabama's got by far the best player in Bryce Young, and we saw what happened a month ago, and it all comes down, for me, I think Georgia has the potential to do it, but you're insane... if you watched the game four weeks ago and you think it's a smart idea to bet against Alabama, like how can you, how can you watch the sec championship game and see what you saw and then bet Georgia? I feel like it's irresponsible to tell people to bet Georgia. You know, if you, if you do it yourself, fine. But like, how can you go on a podcast or how can you talk to your friends and recommend betting Georgia? I just don't, you know what I mean? To yeah, me, to me, it's the definition of insanity. Now they could, they have to change a lot and they have the potential to do it, but there's nothing that's changed significantly enough in the last four weeks that makes it a smart bet. If you're betting with your head, even though I think they can do it and I'll be rooting for Georgia to do it. So I have to, as Dan, as you said, Ryan, as you said, I have to go Alabama, Much closer than the first game, but I just don't see a scenario where betting against Alabama is the smart move. Uh, I love your teaser idea, Dan. I love the teaser of teasing Alabama up to plus nine. I feel like that's near lock. And then I actually have the over under in my pool, which I picked, you know, weeks ago. I put it at 52 before the over under was even well, obviously, before the over-under was even revealed for this game, before we knew technically who was playing in it, I picked Alabama-Georgia in my pool, and I said there was going to be 52 points because I had to pick that as a tiebreaker. So I think the over unders right on. I think you can tease it down. I think you can tease it up, and you're going to be good either way. So I love that bet, and that's the bet I'm going to recommend as well. And the whole game is going to come down to what's the approach in terms of going against Bryce Young. You know who I want to see? I want to make a call to Dick LeBeau and the old Steelers defensive coordinators and uh, use that old Pittsburgh blitz package, Dan, where there's always a blitz coming from somewhere on every play. If Georgia runs that, I think they can win this game. If they run a base defense and drop back into a zone, I think they're dead.
1: I agree. I'm thinking about, um, okay, so. If you tease Alabama and Georgia, like I'll take Bama plus nine. And I think I'll, I'll take the over 45 and a half kind of like that on turf. I just feel like 24, 21, I think is minimum. I think they get there.
0: I like, I think I like an over 45 slightly better than uh under fi- what 59, 58.
1: Yeah. Something like that.
0: Yeah. I, I like them both, but I, yeah, I think I tease it down to 45. Yeah.
1: Interesting. I don't know. It's going to be, it's going to be pretty wild. If if Georgia actually wins, nice job. I mean, you've exercised your demons, but uh, look, I'm a Steeler fan. We never beat the Patriots ever in 15 years. Now you guys are like, don't talk to me about that. I I get it. Same thing, but ours were in big playoff games and it's very similar in that regard. Like, you know, I just – we could not beat the Patriots in a big playoff game. And I just I, – they're like, oh, the Steelers are very talented. They're at home. I'm like, don't matter. 47-13 Patriots. So, uh, yeah, sometimes coaching really does make all the difference, and this might be one of those situations.
0: Here's a question for you. If you flipped the coaches or flipped the teams and you oh, had God. Nick Saban coaching this Georgia team all year, and Kirby Smart coaching this exact Alabama team all year, what's your pick then? Georgia. Georgia
1: by a ton.
0: Right, right. Georgia by two touchdowns, right?
1: Yep, 14 and a half.
0: But alas, you know, that's not that's not what you get.
1: <laughs> nope. So, yeah, I don't know. I guess all of us like Alabama. I um, think it's the first time we've all been – agreeing on the national champion in a minute. It's pretty interesting.
0: It's the first time also, this is a theme of this year, but like we've been more disciplined in our picks where Mm -hmm. we've been saying since day, day one, podcast one of the take the points podcast, which is like so old. It's not even in the feed anymore. Like you can't even listen to it anymore. I don't know what happened. You know, (laughs) I built the damn website and I have no, yeah, it's just, it's in the ether. It's out on the web three somewhere. Like it's part of a Bitcoin. One day you'll buy a Bitcoin and you'll just get our first episode. But that was nine or 10 years ago. And the first thing, Dan, you said, this was rule one. We made it up. Our first of many great predictions that have come true. This is like, I mean, this is like Greg McElroy era, or maybe this was, um, you know, what's his name? The guy with the girlfriend that uh, Musburger left. Yeah. AJ McCarron. Um, this was like early Alabama dynasty. And you were like, you bet on Alabama or you don't bet the game. And that's the rule one forever. (sighs) And here we are 10 (laughs) years later. And like, we finally, for the first time all year, we've actually kind of stuck to it and been like, well, it doesn't make sense on paper. I think George is a better team, but you know, we made the rules and we're sticking to it. So you bet on Alabama or you don't bet.
1: Correct. I, I've i made the mistake and uh, I've I've got burned a couple times. To sure, betting against Alabama, and I just like what what the fuck? what was I thinking? I, like it's just stupid. Um, right. To stay away from the game, there's all these other games to bet. Just bet something else. Bet soccer. Bet basketball. Bet bet a different game. Just don't bet a lot against Alabama. Like I was so sure that Ole Miss was going to cover against Alabama earlier this year. No, that did not happen. Uh, you know that was like one of my biggest bets of the year. You know, and it just fell fell in my face. I will say that my largest bet of the entire year was the under in the Arkansas Penn State game, and because I bet an under and I bet so much, I was very nervous about it. So I got up, I didn't turn it on. I went to the gym. And I'm at the gym working out, and I get a text message from Ryan, and it says, if I would have known that Rod Gilmore was calling this under, I would have bet my mortgage on the under. And I put my hands in the air in the gym, and I was like, I'm not going to look at the score, but that's a very good sign to get that text message. So I didn't turn that game on until there was seven minutes to go in the fourth quarter.
0: Let me tell you about so, that game, though. I was nervous for you at first because uh, Penn State's five best defensive players all future NFL players um, or like next year NFL players Correct. all opted out. Penn state was playing almost a totally new, they were basically basically mm. playing next year's defense and they played great. I mean, it, it, as a Penn state fan, even though they lost, it gave me a lot of hope for the future because we're going to have another good defense next year. That's elite. Yeah. And uh, Sean Clifford's back for his 47th year. Uh, he, he, <laughs> Here's a take the points prediction for you. We're calling this in, uh, uh, what is it? January 7th, 2022 Sean Clifford's going to come back for a sixth year. He's going to get benched for a freshman. (laughs) Uh, Mark my words. Penn state has two recruits. uh, They have more than two recruits, but they have two noteworthy recruits. They have the Gatorade national player of the year for the whole country who is a running back from Pennsylvania named uh, Nicholas Singletary, who should be a great running back. Uh, They also have Mr. Ohio, Drew Aller, a quarterback, number one quarterback prospect next year. The, the Bryce young of next year coming to Penn state. And believe me, the fans have known about this. This guy committed like a year ago. His games have been on TV. Penn state fans are ready for this. I mean, this guy's on a different level than the, the recruits they've had. And when, when Sean Clifford, Penn state also, by the way, has like the, the toughest schedule, like in the country, especially the first six weeks, they have, they open at Purdue, a Purdue team that just beat Tennessee without their two best players. And they have, um, Michigan and Ohio state back to back weeks five and six. And then, uh, they are at Auburn, I think week three. So it's like at Purdue, a home game at Auburn. Another big 10 game, Ohio State at Michigan is how they open the season. Not with, good. With uh Sean Clifford, who just put up 10 points against a depleted Arkansas. And so believe you me, when uh when they're you know two and three, and Sean Clifford gets knocked out of the Michigan game, and Drew Aller comes in and like leads a near comeback, that's gonna be the end for Sean Clifford. But The good news is Sean Clifford and his brother, Liam Clifford also on Penn state have designed a, um, quarterback coaching app. So Sean Clifford's going to be, uh, he's going to be the first guy to, um, leave a team mid season and just become a quarterback's coach. So watch for that transition around week nine of next year when he just pulls the, um, Oh man, who was the quarterback who just walked off of Fresno state and just like became a coach. Oh
1: no. Uh, no, um I'm blanking.
0: You know what I'm talking about though, Ryan. You yeah. know the answer to this? I can't think. There's some there's some famous coach now who started his career. Lane. Was it Lane? It was Lane, right? It was Lane. Yeah, Lane got Lane benched. Was, he got benched in a yeah. game, right? And he just quit. And then he just yeah. came back like on the Monday and was like, uh, could I just be like the QB coach or something? Because this obviously That's isn't exactly working. Exactly what happened. Yeah, Sean Clifford's the new Lane Kiffin, is what I'm trying to say. That's true. So that's my Take the Points 2022 early prediction.
1: Love it. So next week we got a big award show. I'm going to go back and listen to last year's season finale and write down all the awards. I think we have the the Take the Points Hall of Fame Um, coach goes in. We have the memorabilia, which is really good. We have a mascot, I believe, we have to put in.
0: We'll have some um, inductions, uh, some Hall of Fame inductions for sure. We'll also have the, our our just our awards, our famous Zach Mills Award for the quarterback. Speaking of Penn State, the Zach Mills Award for the the quarterback who started his freshman career hot and is now finishing on a downslide. There is a lot of candidates this year. I don't even want to tease that. So many. This is the the most wide open year. It's like this year's Heisman. You know, anybody could win it, and it's going to come down to the wire. But there's there's other, there's like, you know, funniest moment or best gambling moment of the year. There's a lot of good stuff to talk about. This is, this is your favorite game. Uh, episode is talking about the national championship game. Usually my favorite episode of every year is usually the one after the games are over when we just talk about the season and we just talk about all the nonsense and all the stuff that, um, will be forgotten by history books, but the diehard fans will remember, you know, we'll remember the uh, Purdue Kansas state bowl game of 1999, the holiday bowl, even though the average person never will, you know, those are the memories we'll wrap up next week. Um, I would like to end this show because we talked about Alabama this year. If they win not the greatest championship game, uh, or championship team of all time, they will be a little bit, they will be one of the worst championship teams of the last 10 years. Let's say it that way. I would like to do to, and on a positive note and let's talk a little more about 2019 LSU who is without a doubt one of the top two best teams of all time and Dan do you want to make the case at this point for them to be number one or what else do you need to see yeah before they they surpass 2001 Miami?
1: look rarely do you get to take a college team and then say well that was college football. I don't know how they do in the pros. However, if you take those those stars from the 2019 team, they just happen to be in the pros. Burrow and Chase are unstoppable right now with like 950 yards passing and like 425 yards receiving and five touchdowns the last two games for Chase. Playing in like cold weather in like December and January, like not – warm sec weather sitting out Justin, a
0: game so, sorry to interrupt but joe burrow in his second year and he had a huge injury so really it's his yeah. first year is sitting out the last week of the season because he's he's already got it locked up so don't even worry about yeah. it he's acting like Cincinnati, a 10 year
1: Cincinnati before the year was 20 to 1 to win the AFC North I'm an idiot for not betting that uh, Justin Jefferson just broke all the um, wide receiver records for first two years in the NFL. And Chase is going to shatter those records next year. Those three are unbelievable. And Burrow and Chase are so fun to watch. Um,
0: Edwards Allaire tearing it up in Kansas City. I mean, starter from day one.
1: Yeah, and um, so still got the other wide receiver, Terrence Marshall. Like, It's not his fault. What's he on, Carolina or whatever? It's not not his fault, wherever he is.
0: I was just watching um. the, the Browns game and they had an injury at safety and they needed someone to step up. And so who comes in? Someone comes off a long injury, Delpit. And I remember, Oh yeah. Delpit. Remember when he was awesome and what does he do? He has a great game. And then of course he gets hurt toward the end. So hopefully his career isn't plagued by injuries, but yeah, here's another guy who steps in and just is awesome mm-hmm. chase on is doing well in Baltimore, I think. Right. I mean, it's yeah. incredible.
1: I mean, take a look at the, at, at the NFL, at the upcoming, at the, at the upcoming NFL draft. They're going to have a uh, corner, uh, Derek Stingley go in the top 10. He was a freshman on that team. Um, basically the LSU 2019 offense is the best offense I've ever seen in my life. Uh, I, yes. I, it, now it's, it's proven. So, um,
0: and I man, think it's, they were so fun. It's Amazing. I mean, the other best team is 2001 Miami and both of those coaches lasted what two years after the championship. So the two greatest teams of all time, the coaches got fired almost immediately after. So perhaps there's a coach uh, or a coach, perhaps there's a curse. It's getting late here. (laughs) Maybe the goal is to just win ugly and just stay around forever.
1: It's possible, but, uh, Yeah, nice job. LSU 2019, absolute legends. Joe Burrow, coolest dude in the NFL right now, and uh, a lot of respect.
0: Ryan, any interesting transfer portal, coaching things, coordinators that you want to talk about?
2: I mean, there's just too much to keep up with at this point. (laughs) I mean, the the portal is just getting outrageous. Dan looks excited. He wants to talk about something. I will say I followed the –
0: I followed the, um, the Twitter feed that you recommended to me that just gives you basically every move in the portal. And that's all my Twitter is now I signed into Twitter and it's like (laughs) a couple tweets from the Eve six guy and then 8,000 transfer portal notifications.
1: It's unbelievable. There's so much action every day. There's like a hundred tweets. It's like, um, but just real quick, um, Caleb Williams leaving Oklahoma, um, People are assuming he's going to go to USC, but I guess his girlfriend goes to UNC and uh, it's his high school girlfriend. He's from DC and I believe UNC needs a new quarterback. I don't know if he's interested in going six and seven and going to a Mayo Bowl, but uh,
0: he'd be perfect for the UNC system of um, yeah. Going six and seven with 10 other NFL prospects around him. And then getting drafted in the top 10.
1: Yeah, of course. Um, Yeah, Caleb Williams is a surprising one. Also, uh, Ole Miss picking up that TCU running back, Evans, who is a five-star recruit. Uh, That's a nice get for Lane there.
0: Um, Oklahoma gets, um, um, what's his name, from UCF? Yeah, he had committed Dylan to Gabriel. Yeah, he was going to go over to uh, Chip Kelly for UCLA and then he switches as soon as Caleb Williams leaves, he switches, goes to Oklahoma. Yeah. Now UCLA is without a quarterback. To me this this sort of ripple effect has been the most interesting thing. We just saw yeah. today Texas's quarterback Casey Johnson is going to Nebraska, who lost Adrian Martinez because Quinn Ewers is coming in and he can see the writing on the wall. So every move begets another move and guys like Casey Thompson, who are pretty good, who probably didn't want to transfer somebody else moves and it sets off a ripple effect that then bumps them somewhere else. And there's probably a Nebraska guy who thought he was going to be the starter next year, who will now transfer to the Mac and, and everybody just moves around and, DJ Uyunglele will be in UCLA next week. Mark my words on that one.
1: Um, yeah, uh, and the last thing that I want to mention on this podcast is we might have to get into uh, wagering on the, uh, is it the USFL next year? Is, is that what per- it's called? Correct, yes. Because we got Kevin Sumlin, Todd Haley.
0: Oh my as God. Head coaches. This and is the who, take. The, this is the take. The points league, a joke league of all the joke guys. It's,
2: it's like I'm Todd really Graham will be
0: them. in this league. Mark my words. Todd Graham, Herm will get in there. Who else? <laughs> this is you know what we we used to joke about the MAC twenty twenty four or whatever it was, where all the coaches that we made fun of in real conferences would eventually make their way and filter down into the MAC, and then the MAC would just be a conference full of hilarious coaches, the Holland. USF, the, yeah, the USFL <laughs> might end up being the real life version of this Mac 2024 joke. So who would you, there's eight teams, right? Dan yeah. for pure comedy, who, and you know, Ryan, you chime in pure comedy. That's all we care about. It's the spring. It, we're not looking at elite level football. We want it to be fun. Who are your eight right. coaches? They don't have to be necessarily available right now. Who just your dream roster. All
1: right. I'm going to throw some names out there. So we already got Sumlin and Haley. Those, those are must must haves. Um, I'll recommend um, former Florida coach, Dan Mullen. you fire him in there. Um, Willie Taggart can make an appearance there. Um, we can take. Uh, that seems like the next stop for fucking Chip Kelly. We'll throw him in there. He can run the hurry up. It'll be great. Um, Scott Frost, put him in there.
0: You're missing a uh, crucial name. You're you've got the right. You've got. You're on the right track with Scott Frost, but you're missing a very crucial coach, Dan.
1: Who do you got, Tom?
0: Former Nebraska guy, made a brief stop at LSU. Oh. I think we need some Bo Pelini in this league.
1: Bring in Bo. Bring him in. Let's br-
0: can we bring in Carl or didn't he get in trouble for something? I don't remember what happened with Carl. Not sure. Polini Brothers. Look, okay. we,
2: look, we got one team coached by the Polini. <laughs> and then <we> got- <laughs> <laughs> but then, if that's the case, we need another team coached by the Ryan Brothers. Rex oh and my Rob. God. They have to, to co coach a team too.
1: I forgot about NFL coaches. There's so many.
0: This is maybe a better question of uh, coaching combos. Like who are you sticking together as your uh, your Joe Millionaire odd couple?
1: The Ryan brothers need to be reunited. Okay. (laughs) So so the Ryan
0: brothers get it. Okay. Now we're going with pairs. So the Ryan brothers, the, (laughs) the Polini, Steve Spurrier (laughs) Senior with Steve Spurrier, junior coaching together as a father-son tandem. I know they're not coaches, but John Daly and his son. After seeing him at that Arkansas game, I want him involved somehow.
1: Wanstead and Narduzzi together. Oh my god! (laughs) No,
0: no, that's not fair. (laughs) Does Pittsburgh have a team?
1: I don't know. They do now. They might. I, I think
2: the, they. I think they actually do have a team. I, they, all right. They Here, had an arena team. All right. Pascal want with D, with Dino running the offense. Oh, oh god. god. That, yeah.
0: That's just. That's just not even nice. All right, Dan. I got an idea. The three <laughs> of us will have to get a few <laughs> other investors. We'll get some famous Pittsburgh investors. Okay. I'm calling Christina Aguilera. I'm calling the guy who sang Black and Yellow. I forget his name. That rapper. Whiz. I'm calling. Who else are Mario we calling? Le Mario, Mario Lemieux. Le Who else are we calling for Pittsburgh investors?
1: We're calling the Michael, great, great, Michael great, 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 great grandchild of Andrew Carnegie.
0: All right. We're, yeah. Grandchild, Michael Keaton. All right. We're, we're all yeah, getting together. needs
2: to be involved.
0: The, the, the team's going to be called the Pittsburgh Permontes, and they're going to be coached by Dave Wanstead and okay. Pat Narduzzi. <laughs> Together, Both. co-head coaches. Mm-hmm.
1: Alex Van Pelt, quarterbacks coach.
0: Alex Van Pelt's the quarterbacks coach. Roethlisberger. <laughs> Roethlisberger
1: not. is um is head team of security. Chapman. He's director team of security.
0: All right, uh, Jerome Bettis is your running backs coach.
1: Yep, bring him in. And
0: uh, and uh, Bam Morris is if he's wait no if he's is he... Amos
1: Zaraway, running backs coach. That right. makes more sense. Okay. Friggin Amos Zaraway as running
2: backs coach. All right. Personal favorite, famous Amos, murdered Syracuse back in college when he was at West Virginia. It was great. Murdered. Yep. Okay.
0: He's on uh, defensive coordinator, Joey Porter, senior. And yep. um, endless. And that's our team. And we're taking them. I love this we're, team. we're the ninth team in the USFL, and we're going to dominate everybody.
1: So many possibilities. Looking forward to USFL. I'm, I can't wait. If, if Sumlin versus Haley's on TV, I'm going to live text this whole game to you guys. Just, just get ready for a thousand text messages.
0: I'll do a live take the points live broadcast. <laughs> Sumlin Haley. We do. We, we <laughs> usually do one off season one per year, and I'm willing to make it a live four hour <laughs> broadcast of the Sumlin versus Haley USFL matchup.
1: It'll be so good. We'll see it's the most bullshit you've ever seen in your life. Just a
2: horrible, horrible display of football. It's the only way we're going to be able to stay awake for that game is if we uh, if we live broadcast it. Because otherwise, it's instant sleep.
0: And Ryan, you made a great point earlier this week, is which is that well, you know. USL foul coaches, you know, guys, you know, guys need a job. You get out of coaching early. You need to make some money. Oh wait, Kevin, Sumlin's getting paid like a billion dollars a year still. So he's doing this strictly for the love of the game.
2: That guy's made more money in buyouts than he has yeah. in actual earned contracts. That's amazing.
1: All right. I think we should wrap this up. I think Good that's, en- I think
0: that's enough. Is there anything important anyone wants to add?
1: No, I think that's good. Enjoy the game. We'll be in touch. And then next week, uh, is our big award show season finale. We will look and listen back to previous podcasts to see exactly what's all included. I'm demanding an end of the year tarmac report looking into next year. Uh, I'll do a special coach's restaurant for next week. And, uh, Tom, you got to talk about some sort of new medal, or it's not a season finale. So, uh,
0: I think that yeah, we'll wrap up our three most popular segments of the year: Ryan's awesome tarmac report, Dan's awesome coaches restaurant, and my very much hated new metal talk. Everyone's least <laughs> Tom's favorite. new metal part. corner.
1: We we have to come up with, with the name for that for next year. Like,
0: no, no, no. I'm uh, see. I've moved on I'll to. Th- I'm, th- I'm now revisiting the um, pop punk era of Mm. 1999 to 2007 which also has a lot of comedy gold but i'm going to save that for next season so get ready
1: all right sounds good well enjoy the game everyone have a nice uh weekend and we'll talk to you next week
0: All right, I'm, I'm yes. I have to start recording <laughs> now. We always miss I'm the best here. part.
1: Gerbil has to be All right,
0: right? Which, Dan, Ryan, quick picks. Which Syracuse 1990s alternative rock DJs are anti-vaxxers and or dead of COVID? The, the choices uh, Scorch. are Scorch, Rain Man, <laughs> Gerbil, and uh, that woman Who's with the, the cigarette voice.
1: All four. No chance they've taken any vax. Over under deaths two and a half. Scorch is definitely dead. Gerbil's definitely dead. Rainman, I think. Uh, <laughs> Scorch is
0: alive. I know for a fact. Scorch is alive. He is doing a show in Wisconsin now.
1: Oh. We should see if we get him on the podcast next year. Bring this full circle.
0: I don't know if you've been to the Midwest lately or, or heard of their no. tales, but. New Metal and um the post grunge creed shine down era rock never stopped being popular and those bands never <laughs> stopped releasing songs. Every time I go up to upstate New York to visit my parents, I always turn on K-Rock. It's like the first thing I do. Um every single time there's a new song from some band that was popular in 2002. Like last time it was here's some brand new music from three doors down. And I'm, I'm always like, Oh, this must be a song they released in, you know, 2006, but no, it was 2019 as Joe Burrow was leading LSU to a championship. I'm hearing new, new three doors down or new shine down or brand new stuff from corn. Like the bands of 2002 have only gotten more powerful. And these bands all do. They all just tore together as festivals they go to Rocklahoma or Rock on the Range or every festival throughout the plain states and midwest that all have rock in the title of the festival and it's every band that was on K Rock in 2002 and they all play together it's never like oh here's a Godsmack show with Shine Down opening it's like here's a festival with Godsmack, Three Doors Down, Shine Down, Crossfade and 50 others <laughs> and Tickets are Crossbait. tickets are seventy five dollars for four full days, and <laughs> everybody who lives there fucking loves it. It's all guys like us. It's guys between thirty eight to forty seven years old with like goatees, like gray goatees, just rocking tribal tattoos. And tre- yeah, oh yeah, and like faded tribal tattoos, the original versions, <laughs> throwing up the devil horns, doing the the hookem. And just fucking rocking out. And they love it. Bad Tom. This is not a joke. I know it sounds like one, but Google it. So anyway, Gerbil, rest in peace. And we'll see you next week.